you got better. You learned to play that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So that's the first thing I ever composed. Well, the beginning of it. And I did it based on a chord progression, a common tango chord progression. I played the chords in my chosen key and set about to find a melody within that chord progression to then layer over it and weave the two within each other. That melody ended up changing the chord progression, but that doesn't matter. I did have something to channel though, so to speak, when I sat down to do this. So this piece is called Si Molesto, which in Spanish means... If I annoy you. Yeah, something like that. If I bother, no? So I was inspired here by kind of social awkwardness I was experiencing. I just returned to Argentina after so many years away, after so much forgetting. And at the same time, you know, just after I arrived, two days afterwards, complete lockdown. And, and I wasn't really able to understand where I was. It's like I was living in an internal battle of identities every day, which made it hard to engage. These feelings gave me a sensation of being in a corridor, awkwardly trying to make my way past someone as we both stepped to the same side, trying to negotiate the way. These steps would also be reminiscent of the dance of tango. So I would talk a little bit about how I composed this, not because like these are masterpieces or anything, but because of course I can speak from the point of view of the composer with all certainty. So for the first chord in the chord progression, I play only two notes for the harmony. Together. C and E flat. So I only play two notes for various reasons because the bandoneon is one complicated instrument and it's much easier to play two than three. <laughs> because with three notes, the chord becomes much louder and the melody becomes harder to hear if you're playing this just on one instrument. So there's always practical considerations now to have when you're composing. So we just play two notes of the chord here, C and E flat. And in the melody, I play G and F. That's the first measure. So we have C, E flat, F and G all present. Can we work out the chord? What do we have to do to work out the chord first? If we have C, E flat, F and G. Look at the intervals, which one is five away, and then you can find the, the tonic, which will be the, the name of the chord. That's one way of going. That's not what I was thinking, but that's brilliant because it's based on what we've learned, no? So what chord do you think this might be then? C, E flat, F and G. I would say C. Now it's got the E flat in there though, hasn't it? Would it be C minor because of the flat? Brilliant. We have a C minor chord. So what I was, what I was kind of like <laughs> nudging you towards was that we have to remove the F, no? But you've identified in another way that, that the F is a passing note. Uh -huh. So yeah, we mentally remove F, the passing note, no? And we have C, E flat and G. So this is a C minor chord, of course. So this is the tonic chord, which means we're in what key? C. C. Minor. C minor, good. So the harmony begins with a tonic sensation. But what sensation do we have in the melody if the first note is G? Dominant. The dominant, no? So right from the outset, we're starting with Tonic sensations, home sensations, harmonically and melodically, dominant sensations, far away from home. So there's a contrast there, no? 
And that contrast fits well with the idea behind Si Molesto. So beginning with the dominant in the melody is a tense start and this is a drawn out note, a half note taking up two beats. And for a second, we feel the tension lessen slightly with the F, no? As we fall in pitch. That's still quite tense, why is that? Because you're still quite a far away, you're still far away from the, the tonic. What is F? The fourth, perfect fourth. And what's that called? The um, subdominant. Subdominant, no? So the subdominant has the relationship that the dominant has with the first tonic, but with the second tonic. So it's not like mathematically in the context of the key right between the two tonic notes in Hertz, but musically speaking, music folds a number and its double are the same note, no? It's still a perfect fifth from the tonic, just rising up to it. So that's a lot of power to begin with, no? Very charged, energetic beginning. Where would you expect to go from there? Where would you expect to go from this tension? I'd expect it to come down, to bring it back to the dominant, to the um, tonic. To release the tension, no? That's what you would expect. It's a lot of tension. You're immediately expecting now less tension, no? Rather than more. That's our first expectation. So as a composer, you will be thinking as a listener in terms of what the listener's expectations are and how our music hits the right balance between satisfying and violating those. But as we do fall in pitch, we don't get any more relaxed. In the second measure, we play a B, which occupies the whole measure, well, a measure and a half, it goes on to the next measure, whilst playing D and F together for the harmony. So this is a new type of chord that we've just seen. What does B, D and F give us? What do we get with B, D and F? It wasn't a major or a minor chord, but... Diminished. A diminished chord. This is B diminished. And why is it called a diminished chord? Because it's a half step less than what you would expect. A half step less where? In the diminished third. Where do we use the word diminished? No, fifth. So the, it's the fifth that should be the, the dominant, but it's, it's diminished, so it's one less. Exactly. So when you lower a major interval by a half step, you get a minor interval. Right. When you decrease a perfect interval by a half step, you get a diminished interval. So there's no crossover there in terms of the names, no? There's no diminished third or major or minor fifth. They're just different names for the same... The same action. The same action, but in different contexts, no? And those words are very important because they help us explain what we feel through hearing like a perfect fifth, no? Right, as everything should be, as everything's made, symmetry, beauty, you know, bird singing. <laughs> and then the diminished fifth, that's the mutation. It can be exciting, it can be wonderful, it can be dangerous, it can be destructive. It can be an opportunity, we don't know, no? It's, the devil is in the details in the complications within the folds. So we have a diminished chord now with a diminished fifth, no, which is a very dissonant interval. So we have D and F in the harmony and then B in the melody. Si molesto, the name of the song, has a double meaning. For one part, it's if I bother, or it might translate as bothersome B, as in the note B. 
Other than naming our notes with letters, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, we might also name them Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Si, as is common in Spanish. So I should actually say it in a more English accent, no? So that'd be like Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Si. Here we start with Si. Do is the note Si. And Si <laughs> in Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Si is a B. So Si molesto might also translate as bothersome B, which would be this note. Bothersome in the context of the harmony being played with an F, generating a diminished fifth between the B and the F. Now, C minor is a key with flats. And how many flats? How do we work that out? Where do we start? What's the first thought to work that out? Could it be you start with A? Find the perfect fifth and the perfect fifth, and each time adding a flat. It is. But for flat keys, you need to count backwards. That's the only detail. But right. if you want to count forwards, you can still just do it in fourths. So that's like a shortcut. You can count backwards in fifths, but if you do it forwards in fourths, you will get the same knot. Let, let me try backwards first. Uh, what am I doing? So I'm starting with A. So I go A, G, F, E, D, one flat. D, C, B, A, G, two flats, G, F, E, D, C, so three flats. Brilliant. So C minor is a key with three flats, and those flats are B flat. Again, we're counting backwards in fifths or forward in fourths. So B flat is always the first, isn't it? And where do I go? Where do I go to find the rest? Back, backwards in fifths or forwards in fourths? Exactly the same as what you did to find... The names of the keys. Right. So it's B, A, G, F, E, E flat. E flat, B flat, E flat, and? E, D, C, B, A flat. A flat. Good. So we have three flats in this key, B flat, E flat, and A flat. But in the second measure, we start to play a B in the melody. We're using B rather than B flat. And this B creates a diminished fifth with the F in the harmony. So minor scales are a little bit more complicated than major scales. So I've already mentioned that like when we're climbing a minor scale, we might raise the seventh to make it more like a leading tone. No? So the seventh degree here is a B flat. But as when we're climbing, we might make that a B when we're climbing to make it more like a leading tone, to bring it one half step away from C, would make it a B. But not when we're falling. So the reason we have... A B there, rather than a B flat, is not justified melodically, because melodically it's falling. This is not behaving like a leading tone. No. When I was analysing this, I wondered if like, I accidentally mock myself with this, because the leading tone goes forward to home. It doesn't go back to home. That's not the job of the leading tone. And here I am, trying to go back home after years away. <laughs> So that B is not justified melodically. It's when we're rising in a minor scale that we tend to increase the leading tone. But harmonically, when we build the harmony on the minor scale, we do it on the raised leading tone. So the chord belongs. The chord belongs to the key. But the B in the melody doesn't. Not when we're falling. So again, we have this contrast of belonging and not belonging. So when I was looking at this chord progression, 
there's decisions that are to be made. You know, what notes of the chord are we going to play? We don't have to necessarily play all of them. And also, what are we going to do rhythmically? When we begin, and we begin with a tonic, I decided to begin with just a whole note, the chord playing the whole measure. You can see the chord there is just playing the whole measure. And then for the next measure, we have now a rhythmic pattern. Firstly, what time do you think we're in? What time signature does that sound like? Four, common time. Common time, good. So we have one chord per beat. And is there something else you notice there? The, the second isn't as strong, it's, it's weak. Good. The second and fourth beats now are particularly weak. So that's something that belongs to the genre of tango. Now there's different ways of expressing the chords rhythmically and this would be called marcato, no? which is just like marked but in Italian. No? So we have very marked beats and this is one of the most characteristic things about tango, so much so that many different styles of marcato have arisen. You may play each beat more or less equally or you may play the weaker beats very soft or even not at all. Marcato en dos, marcato in twos, in a mixture of Italian and Spanish, is where you leave the second and fourth beat silent. So instead of it would be So that's one of the first things you can do if you're composing for a genre. Look to see if there are common rhythmic tendencies that you can play the chord with. So this will be one of those things now that grounds it in being tango, having this marcato. So after this C, molesto, after this bothersome B that lasts for a measure and a half, we then play two Gs with the same chords, and then the chord changes. We insist with the G, the second is a bit longer, and then. Now in this measure, this is the fourth measure now, we are playing again C and E flat in the harmony. So what chord do you think this measure is in as a whole? C minor. C minor. And in, in the melody, we have a G, which does what? Well, G is the dominant of, of C. Good. So it's just kind of completing the chord, no? We have that G twice. The second time is longer. And then we fall to an E flat and then to a C. So this measure in particular only has notes from the C minor chord. There's no, there's no, there's no passing notes. No passing notes. Good. Here on the fourth measure, maybe we're starting to iron out the awkwardness. The G, the G that starts in the measure that has D and F and then moves into the C minor measure, a measure that contains only notes of the tonic chord. But just when it looks like the bothersome B has given way to more coherent music, everything goes to pop. So how would you describe that measure? 
as a feeling. Sounds a bit spooky. Something's not right. Something's not right, right? And there's a tension of what's going on or what's going wrong. No. So what we're doing harmonically is you might begin to recognize this by ear now. So when you analyze music, you also start developing your ear. We've heard that. What, what chord is that? It's the same one as how we start. What do we start with? C? C minor. C minor. So when we're analyzing music, playing a piece of music, writing a piece of music, whenever we're spending time on music, we can use that to contribute to ear training rather than treating ear training as a separate thing with its own exercises. In this piece, we're getting familiar with the sound of the C minor chord and the B diminished chord so far. You can also use everyday life for ear training. For example, I think in most countries, the sound of an ambulance siren makes a diminished fifth, which is a good choice, no? Considering we know we find this sound particularly jarring. If we can reference that interval mentally, it will make it easier for us to identify when we hear a diminished fifth in music. A typical doorbell might make a descending major third, a major third going down. Again, if we can reference this mentally, then we can identify the same interval when we come across it musically. Maybe in something like... That's the beginning of Beethoven's fifth, one of the most recognized series of notes in the world, which is a major and then a minor descending third. If you figure out the notes of your doorbell with a tuning app or on an instrument comparing the notes, then you'll also be training your ear regarding what a D or a G sounds like, for example, every time you hear the doorbell. If you use public transport, then you can figure out the beeps when the doors open and close or before announcements. If you know these notes and intervals, you can train your ear with that reference and strengthen that recollection every time you hear those beeps. When you hear those same notes or the same interval in music, you will begin to notice that spontaneously. This ability of sussing out notes or intervals by ear is often regarded in musical circles as some supernatural power bestowed onto selectly deserving musicians. Rather, whilst there are always the unnaturally talented, I suspect most musicians with this ability, consciously or otherwise, have simply become very skilled at comparing the notes and intervals they hear to auditory memories of music they know well. If we make a habit of doing this, over time, we'll be surprised at just how much we can identify by ear.